In our presentation so far, a common theme. Danger. 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 Okay. Thanks, Will Robinson. We appreciate the warning. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Danger. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Mm-hmm. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE, in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids, on WPRR. In New Orleans, on WHIV. Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire, on WNHN. In Fayetteville, Arkansas, on KPSQ. In Seattle, we're going to talk about Pay Attention Seattle, on KODX. In Janesville, Wisconsin, on WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. And yes, we stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from Bradblog.com. Thank you. Very much for joining us today for another dangerous episode <laughs> of the broadcast. Hi, Desi Doyen. Hey. Danger. Danger. Danger, uh, danger uh, Will Robinson. Apparently, an impeachment proceeding is now very, very dangerous if you uh, take it from the defense attorneys for Donald Trump. Coming up shortly today, uh, his uh, defense team wrapped up their opening and their potential closing argument in the Senate impeachment trial on Tuesday, even as the central question of the entire matter at this time seems to be whether witnesses will be called and allowed to testify, as would normally be the case in, you know, a trial. Or if this thing, uh, only the third such presidential impeachment trial in U.S. history, will continue to be rigged and bastardized as so much else has been in the U.S. Senate in recent years under the uh, invidious and insidious and constitution-shattering leadership of Republican Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, who, by the way, will be on the ballot this November himself in his home state of Kentucky, where he is not popular, I, uh, we don't talk about that uh, very much, but he is not popular in Kentucky. Uh, in November, a poll showed Mitch McConnell down to an 18 percent job approval rating in his home state. 18 percent. Only 37 percent in this uh, public policy polling survey said that they would vote for him again next year. Mitch McConnell. The question was, if the election for U.S. Senate were held today, again, this was just last November, 
Would you vote for Republican Mitch McConnell or his Democratic opponent? 37% said they'd vote for Mitch McConnell. 44% said they'd vote for his Democratic opponent. 19% are not sure. So when we talk about, you know, these wavering senators and who is endangered and so forth, depending on how they vote, I don't understand why people don't point towards Mitch McConnell. Now, that poll is from PPP. It's a Democratic polling firm. But in December, McConnell had only a 37 percent approval rating, according to uh, Morning Consult, which I've noticed tends to lean right. He had a 50 percent disapproval rating. And those are not good numbers for the majority leader in his home state in a year that he's on the ballot. And that was before the rigging of the only the third impeachment trial in U.S. history in the U.S. Senate. I know a lot of folks are you know, looking at taking seats from folks like Susan Collins in Maine or Cory Gardner in Colorado, maybe Tom Tillis in North Carolina. And of course, they should be. But perhaps Democrats should, you know, start aiming a little bit higher. Is that too much to ask, Desiree? Oh, I don't think so. In fact, if a Democrat is elected president any time in the future, then having Republicans in charge of the Senate means the death knell to any Democratic agenda. Because McConnell will just do what he's been doing for the past, uh, what are we now, almost 12 years? Yeah. Uh, or worse. He actually pledged to be the grim reaper of all Democratic legislative agendas. Yeah, so just a thought, Democrats. Uh, anyway, uh, we'll get to some notable news regarding impeachment shortly, uh, including including a new poll, by the way, from Quinnipiac, finding an astounding 75 percent of the American public does want to hear from witnesses in this impeachment trial. Seventy five percent. But in any event, for now, we'll get to that in a bit. Uh, speaking of elections, if you haven't heard and seriously, you may not have heard, given the impeachment trial sucking all the oxygen out of everything right now, the Iowa caucuses, the first nominating contest of the year will be this coming Monday. That is less than one week. We are one week away now, less than from the Iowa caucuses. And then primaries and caucuses take place pretty much every single week, week after week. Thereafter, for, well, the uh, as far as the eye can see, let's put it that way. So, yes, the uh, presidential election season is actually here, whether you have noticed or not. And so I hate to break into our special coverage of impeachment with uh, coverage of the 2020 presidential election. But if I don't do it now, I will never get to some of this stuff before folks start voting specifically in Iowa next week. So first off, just to set the scene with some of the uh, horse race numbers uh, as we barrel towards Iowa, where we are in in Iowa, the latest polls reveal momentum for Bernie Sanders, who is now leading in most of the Iowa polling. Not the national polling just yet, but certainly in Iowa. The numbers, uh, according to Vox's analysis, also suggest that the race in Iowa remains very open with Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Senator Elizabeth Warren, former South Bend, Indiana mayor Pete Buttigieg. Uh, forming a clear top tier of candidates, those four with Senator Amy Klobuchar mm, sort of right behind them. She's the only other candidate besides those four who even come close to double digits in any of the recent polls up in the Hawkeye state. So three of the four latest Iowa polls all show Sanders as the front runner for the caucuses for Iowa 
He has uh, 30% in an Emerson College poll, 25% in a New York Times poll, 26% in a CBS News poll. Biden leads in the fourth poll. That's a Suffolk University USA Today poll with uh, 25, a little bit over 25%. He is, uh, Biden is second in two of the polls that are led by Sanders. Buttigieg is second in the Times poll. And then the CBS and Suffolk poll uh, puts the former mayor in third place. And let's see, the uh, and in the Emerson poll, uh, Buttigieg is at four is in fourth, tied with Elizabeth Warren, who is fourth in every single poll, except for the Emerson survey in which he is uh, essentially tied with Buttigieg. So Vox notes, uh, however, that when the margin of error is taken into account in all of these polls, the front runner then becomes very much less clear. Nonetheless, the momentum at this time seems to be with Sanders as we're just a week away from Iowa. But in Iowa, second choices are very important because in the Iowa caucuses, and, you know, this is something that nobody outside of Iowa actually understands, so forgive <laughs> me if I don't get it exactly right, but a candidate must have at least 15% support in these caucus meetings where they all sort of move into separate corners in the room. That's how they actually vote in the caucuses, by moving into the corner of the room and saying, yes, we're over here, we're the, we're the Sanders group, we're the Biden group, we're the Warren group, etc., but a candidate must have at least 15 percent support in any given caucus to qualify for delegates. And if they don't get 15 people, 15 uh, percent uh, support, then there is a second round of voting. And uh, the people who well, if, if your candidate didn't qualify, then you either need to leave the caucus or you throw support behind another candidate who has met the 15 percent threshold. So uh, Sanders has the big mo right now, but anything can ultimately happen at the Iowa caucuses when people don't qualify and they start moving around and so forth. And indeed, many poll respondents have said their choices are not yet set in stone in Iowa. And that's one of the reasons I suspect that I've heard from so many listeners that are sort of freaking out about this next story that I have been able to get to for the past week or two. But if I don't now, when will I? Iowa's Democratic Party plans to use a new Internet-connected smartphone app to help calculate and transmit results during the state's caucuses next month. All this was uh, a few weeks ago. This uh, is reported by Iowa Public Radio and NPR. Party leaders say they've decided to opt for that strategy of using this app, fully aware of three years' worth of warnings about Russia's attacks on the 2016 presidential election in which cyber attacks are said to have played a central role. Iowa's complicated caucus process, writes NPR, is set to take place May 3 in gymnasiums, churches, recreation centers across the state, as opposed to a primary in which voters cast ballots in the same way they would for a general election. Iowa's caucuses are social affairs. They gather and so forth, as I explained. Iowa's Democrats hope the new app lets the party get results out to the public quicker from these uh, from these caucuses, according to the chair of the state party, Troy Price. Price declined to provide more details about which company or companies design this particular app or about what specific measures have been put in place to guarantee the system's security. But he says security is a priority. 
And you know, if Democrats say security is a priority, they mean it, right? Don't answer that question just yet, (laughs) at least not until you heard uh, the next story I'm going to get to. Anyway, he says security is a priority. Except when there's speed involved, because speed is actually the big priority. The uh, state here, the state party worked with the National Party's cybersecurity team. Feel better? Uh, and with Harvard University's Defending Digital Democracy Project, but Price declined to answer directly whether any third party has investigated the app for vulnerabilities, as many cybersecurity experts recommend. So, you know, he says it's secure. That's good enough. We don't need anybody else to tell us otherwise. Now, uh, all of this said, cybersecurity uh, experts who were interviewed by NPR said that the party's decision to withhold the tech details of the app does not do much to protect the system uh, and instead makes it hard to have complete confidence in it. Doug Jones, a computer science professor at the University of Iowa and a longtime voting systems uh, security expert, said the idea of security through obscurity is almost always a mistake. Drawing the blinds on the process leaves us in the public in a position where we can't even assess the competence of the people doing something on our behalf. Now, that said, uh, as I understand this app, essentially all that it will do is send the figures from each caucus location, the results from those locations to the Democratic Party headquarters so that they don't essentially need to be phoned in or driven in, as has been the tradition in past years. And therefore, it all happens much quicker and gets out to the public much quicker. NPR notes, and I mostly agree, uh, that because caucusing is an in-person process verified by witnesses, there is virtually no risk that a cyber attack on the app could change the results of the caucus and go undetected. And I do agree here. If the wrong results, they note, were reported because of a hack, there would be people from each precinct who could correct it. And any, you know, paper records. That is true. It, you can't hack a caucus, per se, because it is an entirely public process where everyone participating gets to see exactly what is going on and who is, you know, quote unquote, voting for whom and what that ultimate final what the ultimate final results actually are from the caucus sites. I know a lot of people have problems with caucuses, but you hear me talk a lot about the public being able to oversee the process. Well, they can oversee the process in a caucus better than they can anywhere else. And that is what ultimately protects the caucus process. So even if the numbers are changed in route on this app or somehow it's hacked, it doesn't work. The truth about how Iowans actually voted at the caucuses will come out at least eventually. You may remember in the 2012 Republican caucuses in Iowa, Uh, where they actually uh, they don't caucus in quite the same way. They actually vote on hand marked paper ballots and they hand count them at the uh, caucus site in front of everyone. So it's, again, a fully public uh, vote, at least the results. We don't know. It is a secret ballot, but at least we know the results are not secret. They're counted at each precinct. Well, back in 2012, you may remember uh, in the Republican caucuses in Iowa, 
that is exactly what happened. There was an error in the reporting, and it was corrected thanks to people who saw what the numbers should be at the caucus site. The GOP had misrecorded numbers from one of those sites, showing that Mitt Romney won uh, when actually Rick Santorum had won at that particular site in this particularly close Iowa caucus uh, Republican uh, contest. Folks who were at the caucus site, one man in particular by the name of Edward True, uh, we had him on the pr on this program at the time. Uh, he had photos of the original numbers as they were counted at the caucus site, showing, in fact, that Mitt Romney did not get, I think it was 22 votes. Uh, instead, Mitt Romney got two votes. The state party, Republican Party, had reported it as 22 votes when it was not accurate. The party was eventually forced to admit that, yeah, Rick Santorum narrowly won the Iowa caucuses, not the establishment choice at the time, who was Mitt Romney. But, of course, by the time they made that admission, the race had moved on to New Hampshire and beyond. So there is some danger here if the wrong numbers get out at least of the wrong numbers, uh, the wrong results being reported on election night. And that, as uh, Doug Jones, Dr. Jones argues, could be catastrophic if the wrong winner was called on caucus night and then the announcement had to be retracted later. He said once you report something, it's really hard to undo. No matter how many retractions you print, no matter how many apologies you say, it is too late. And he is right on that. Uh, he says, from that point of view, someone hacking the reporting process, even though its purpose is entirely informal, is something that could be very disruptive. And indeed, it could be. But uh, to be frank, since there are people, the public, who are there able to oversee every step of this, we will at least know who won or lost in each location, even if something goes wrong in the reporting of the numbers. You know, at least we will know at, le at least. It, so it is a bit like uh, playing with fire, uh, the, de the Democratic Party here. But at least they are not allowing remote voting by phone or smartphone, as they were talking about doing uh, originally for the Iowa caucuses. It is not that bad if that makes you feel any better. But something that I think you should keep your eyes on that should not make you feel better in the slightest, something that is actually worth getting freaked out about, uh, as uh, some of the folks I've heard from concerning Iowa, if you'd like to get freaked out about something, let me point to this example of the, uh, the, the camel poking his nose into the tent, as it is said, something you should be very worried about. More than a million registered voters in the Seattle area can now cast a ballot for an obscure election using a smartphone or a computer, according to The New York Times. This is an actual election. This is not a caucus. Uh, organizer calling the pilot program the largest mobile voting effort in the country. Julie Wise, the director of elections in King County, said that the election would be, quote, a key step in moving toward electronic access for voters across the region. Hello, Seattle. Hello, Washington. In a statement released last week, Julie Wise made those comments. The statement was from Tusk 
Philanthropies. This is a, apparently a nonprofit that is partnering with the county's Board of Elections. I'll get to this Tusk group in a moment. I had never heard of them previously. The vote in King County, Washington, which includes Seattle, will fill an open spot on the board of the King Conservation District. That's an agency managing natural resources. So I guess it's not it's all not that important, Des. It <laughs> manages natural resources for millions of people. Millions of dollars yeah. in natural natural resources and locations where, hey, developers might want to build something. Yeah. So nobody's interested in yeah. that. Yeah. So why waste your time with, you know, an actual election with ballots, hand-marked paper ballots that human beings can actually oversee? Anyway, uh, so beginning this week, eligible voters are now able to use a smartphone or a computer to log on to a portal created by Democracy live that is a seattle-based company so now there's a company who's in on this thing they receive government funding for their help thanks julie wise the election director said there's no special app there's no electronic storage of votes instead a voter's choice is recorded onto a pdf file which they then verify somehow before submission How they verify it after submission and transmission, that's another question that is apparently not answered here. But once the ballots are received, whether they've been hacked or not along the way, who knows? But at that point, the board will follow the same process that it uses for mail-in ballots, uh, including somehow checking against signatures. Not sure how people uh, are supposed to have matching signatures if they sign them on their computers, but I'm sure they have that all you know, all figured out. Now, the New York Times quotes some uh, rather disreputable security and voting experts here in their st- coverage of this story. So I'm going to turn to NPR's coverage here for some quotes uh, from some folks with a bit more credibility on this. Duncan Buell, a computer science professor at the University of South Carolina. I think we've had him on the show as well. He specializes in election technology. He told NPR there is a firm consensus in the cybersecurity community that mobile voting on a smartphone is a really stupid idea. He said, I don't know. I have I don't know that I've run across cybersecurity experts whose mortgages are not paid by a mobile voting company who thinks that this is a good idea. Joe Hall Uh, The former chief technologist at the Center for Democracy and Technology told NPR last year that if you're doing phone voting or Internet voting, it's pretty much garbage in, garbage out. You really don't know what you're getting in or what's coming out the other side. Of course, we have had many such world-class cybersecurity experts on this program over the years, all of whom have strongly argued the very same thing. Not that election officials, or in this case, Democrats, seem to be listening or caring or or caring about it. The pilot in Seattle comes at a time of widespread concern that the voting system in the U.S. remains vulnerable to foreign interference, says The Times. I would add it also remains uh, vulnerable to domestic interference. But they're citing the bipartisan Senate Intelligence Committee. That just last year in July reported that all 50 states were targeted by Russia during the 2016 election. And in a bipartisan report from that committee said, uh, quote, state, uh, quote, states should resist pushes for online voting. But of course, Democrats do not appear to be listening. 
Now, uh, this will be the first election in the country in which all of those who are eligible will be able to vote online, according to Tusk Philanthropies, uh, an an entity founded by the venture capitalist and political strategist Bradley Tusk. Other mobile voting pilots, including one in West Virginia that we we talked about uh, last year, have made the technology available only to disabled voters or veterans and residents overseas. But this is for everybody in the Seattle area. Tusk said uh, in an interview on Thursday, this is not I'm sorry, that this is a new idea. Which is why he says they're starting with smaller elections, but they plan to go bigger. But the fact is, this is not a new idea. This is an old idea that has been roundly dismissed by cybersecurity experts time after time after time. But political strategists like Bradley Tusk, apparently, uh, and election officials like King County's election director, Julie Wise, appear they appear to know better than the cybersecurity experts. Either that or they just don't care. So who is this Tusk philanthropies run by this Bradley Tusk guy? Well, According to the Tusk Philanthropies website, he is, quote, a venture capitalist, political strategist and a writer who has worked in politics for Mike Bloomberg. He's worked as the deputy governor of Illinois. It doesn't say for which governor. He's worked as a communications director for Senator Chuck Schumer and as Uber's first political strategist. So essentially, he's a Democrat. I guess, and an establishment Democrat at that. And he's pushing this dangerous crap on voters. A venture capitalist Democrat. Yep. So uh, in Washington state, they do uh, most voting is, is done vote by mail at this point. But they're pushing it even further. Charles Stewart of Caltech MIT Voting Technology Project said the Internet voting systems were not ready, that that Internet voting systems are not ready for prime time. He said at this particular moment, we need extreme caution in putting these systems out in the wild. And we, the public, need to be careful in what we conclude from these pilots. But this is not, well, I guess it's a pilot, but it's for all the voters in this particular election. After plans for the online vote were announced last week, Secretary of State Kim Wyman uh, of Washington State, she is a Republican. Her office oversees other elections in the state, but apparently not this one. She said in a statement that her office was seeking to roll back the use of electronic ballots. Good. Thank you, Secretary Wyman. Cyber experts I have worked with, she says, including the FBI, Department of Homeland Security, Washington National Guard, overwhelmingly have identified electronic transmission as too risky for voting and could leave voter information and election infrastructure impaired, she said. As the chief election officer for the state of Washington, I'm not willing to take that risk. Good for Kim Wyman, Secretary Wyman, the Republican in Washington state. Hey, Democrats in Washington state, what the hell are you people thinking? Bradley Tusk said the current system is irreparably broken, adding that it would be a mistake to let the fear of hacking prevent efforts to make improvements. To me, he says, doing nothing is the same thing as giving up. I want to try a way to find a way to fix it. Well, if you are looking for a way to fix an election, (laughs) Mr. Tusk, uh, Internet voting should work out just great.
Nice work, Brad. Pay attention, Mr. and Mrs. America and all the folks in Seattle. Quick break, and we are back with the latest in the impeachment. You have been warned, the latest in the impeachment trial of Donald J. Trump. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Yeah, can I get a witness? Yeah. Can I get a witness? Well, that's turning out to be our theme song for this part of the impeachment trial against Donald John Trump. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. When uh, Donald Trump on Sunday touted a Fox News poll on his Twitter feed, he forgot to mention some of the key findings of that Fox News poll, namely that half the country supports his removal from office, including an overwhelming majority of independent voters. Trump tweeted on Sunday night, citing the Fox poll, saying, quote, majority of people say the U.S. Senate already has enough information trying to you know we don't need any more information (laughs) we've already got enough we don't need to see any witnesses now it is true as salon's igor derish notes that a plurality albeit not a majority of respondents say the senate already does have enough information about the ukraine scandal but but enough information in order to support convicting him The poll cited by Trump finds that 50 percent of the country wants the president removed from office based on the evidence that is already before the Senate. Yes, they have enough information and they want you out, Mr. President. A full 50 percent of registered voters support Trump's removal from office, according to this Fox News poll, while only 44 percent say he should be acquitted. CNN poll released last week found almost exactly the same numbers, with 51% supporting uh, Trump's removal, 45% opposing it. The numbers are largely split down party lines, uh, but when it, when it comes to independent voters, the Fox News poll shows that 53% of independents want to remove Trump, compared to just 34% who want him to remain in office. 53, 34, the independents want Donald Trump out. Now, if you compare all of this to uh, Bill Clinton's uh, support for removal back in January of 1999, 21 years ago, just 38% supported his removal. 
Robert McGuire, the research director for the uh, group uh, for Crew, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, uh, tweeted out that there is a reason that Donald Trump is not linking to the poll from his tweet is because it shows that Americans believe the Senate already have enough info to vote to remove Trump from office. By the way, that same Trump, uh, that same Fox poll that Trump wasn't linking to, it shows Trump losing by 9% to Joe Biden, 6% to Bernie Sanders, 5% to Elizabeth Warren, and losing by 4% to former South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg. But that's another issue that he probably does not prefer his Twitter followers actually see, so no link for Fox. By the way... Uh, those are national polling numbers. And just your friendly reminder that we do not run national elections in this country. We run state by state elections with an electoral college. I tried to warn you all about that in 2016. So I hope you will pay closer attention this time. So don't get too excited when you hear those national numbers. But uh, uh, Darish over at Salon notes that the uh, the hosts of Fox and Friends weekend again, Donald Trump's favorite show that they talked about this poll for five minutes and never once mentioned that Trump was underwater against every leading Democrat in that very same poll. <laughs> because they know that Fox News viewers and Trump knows his followers are not going to go look up to see what it actually says. The uh, House impeachment manager uh, for the Democrats, uh, Congresswoman Sylvia Garcia of Texas, uh, she pointed to uh, that uh, to Fox News polling, not that one in particular, but Fox News polling in general during the Senate trial to support the claim that Trump was so obsessed with Joe Biden in 2019, who was destroying him in even Fox News polling, uh, that that was the trigger that may have pressured uh, th that may have uh, triggered him to pressure Ukraine to investigate Joe Biden which in turn sparked the impeachment we are all now uh, following along with every single day, whether we like it or not. Well, another phase of that impeachment trial in the U.S. Senate has now wrapped up as of Tuesday. As Donald Trump's defense team finished their opening and maybe closing case in less than two hours uh, on Tuesday afternoon, focusing mostly over their three days of arguments, uh, although they only used two hours on the first day, first and third day, arguing that essentially the president did nothing wrong. And even if he did, it is not impeachable. And oh, yeah, Joe Biden and his son Hunter are both corrupt because Hunter was on the board of a Ukrainian uh, nat natural gas company with a shady CEO while his father served as vice president. Therefore, even though Trump sent foreign assistance to Ukraine in 2017 and in 2018 with no problem. He had to hold it up in 2019 until the Ukrainian president announced an investigation into the Bidens with uh, Joe appearing to be the front runner for the 2020 election in 2019. Just a coincidence. And the charge uh, that it was Ukraine, not Russia, which interfered in the 2016 election. If you could please investigate that, Ukraine, we will give you the nearly $400 million that Congress, in a bipartisan vote, has allocated to you in military assistance since you're in the middle of a war and all. Uh, well... That all wrapped up on Tuesday. The next phase in the trial will be the question period that starts when the Senate reconvenes on Wednesday. There will be written questions from the senators 
for both the House managers and the Trump defense team, alternating between uh, the majority and the minority sides for up to eight hours on Wednesday and then again on Thursday. The questions must be in writing. They will be submitted to Chief Justice John Roberts, who is presiding over the Senate trial. Uh, He will uh, presumably read them uh, to be answered by the attorneys on both sides. Roberts, at the end of Tuesday's proceedings, said that uh, Chief Justice Rehnquist, when he presided over the Bill Clinton impeachment trial, had asked that answers to questions be limited to no more than five minutes. Roberts said he thought that sounded like a good idea. He requested that the uh, attorneys attempt to meet that precedent, if possible, in their answers on Wednesday and Thursday. So we will look forward to that uh, before presumably. Uh, There will be a few votes on Friday where the Republican majority would once again vote against bringing in firsthand eyewitnesses or subpoenaing documents detailing, you know, what Trump is charged with in his articles of impeachment. These documents that have been blocked by Trump from being used or being seen as evidence in this trial. So the Republicans presumably will vote against that, and then there'll be a vote on each article uh, 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 of impeachment on either Friday or Saturday, which would require a full two-thirds majority in order to convict and remove the president. So more likely, it'll be quick votes to acquit the president in time for the Super Bowl on Sunday, for the Iowa caucuses on Monday, and the State of the Union address on Tuesday next week where he will be able to, where the President of the United States will be able to crow that he has been acquitted, that he did nothing wrong, and that even the U.S. Senate agrees. That was the plan. But a funny thing happened on the way to uh, Donald Trump and the Republican Majority Senate's attempt to wrap this whole thing up by the we- by the end of this week. According to breaking news coming in just now over the break from both AP and CNN, apparently Mitch McConnell does not yet have the votes to shut down witnesses in this matter. Hmm. Now, uh, the funny thing that happened and that has led to this, this change in plans for poor Mitch McConnell, is that The New York Times reported on the forthcoming book by Donald Trump's very hard right former national security advisor, John Bolton, who charges reportedly in this book that the president told him directly that he was going to hold up $391 million in military aid to war-torn Ukraine against Bolton's repeated advice until Ukraine helped Trump to uh, to cheat in the 2020 election by producing dirt on Joe Biden or at least announcing an investigation of him. So that reporting on Sunday from The New York Times has now thrown the question of whether this election will, in fact, wrap up by week's end into no small amount of disarray, it seems. As a number of Republican senators have suggested that they would now uh, want to vote, perhaps maybe in favor of bringing in at least John Bolton as a live witness in this trial. Democrats only need four such Republicans to get a majority vote. Mitch McConnell uh, does not yet have the votes to shut them down. Independent senator from Maine. uh, uh, I'm sorry, from uh, Maine or Vermont? Angus King, Maine. Uh, has said that he believes that there could be as many as five or ten Republican senators who vote in favor of bringing in at least John Bolton. I'm dubious about that, but that's what King says. And the case 
in favor of uh, bringing in Bolton is getting stronger and stronger every literally minute, it seems, and harder and harder for Republicans to avoid at this point. Former White House Chief of Staff John Kelly, Donald Trump's Chief of Staff, on Monday evening said that if media if media accounts of Bolton's forthcoming book are accurate, then he trusts those claims made by his former colleague. He told a crowd in Sarasota, Florida, uh, speaking at a lecture series that, quote, if John Bolton says that in his book, I believe John Bolton. Again, that is John Kelly, who, again, until recently was Donald Trump's own chief of staff. Those remarks from the retired Marie, uh, Marine general, according to Politico, uh, were reported on Tuesday by the Sarasota Herald Times in response to the New York Times Sunday report, uh, which has upended uh, sen- the uh, Senate impeachment trial. Kelly said Monday that he also uh, favors calling in witnesses in Trump's trial. Trump's team barely addressed John Bolton's allegations, trying to uh, uh, you know misdirect folks to other uh, to other things. Uh, during the past three days of their defense argument of the president in the Senate, they hardly mentioned John Bolton at all, largely, largely acting as if he, he wasn't just hanging out there over this entire uh, matter, threatening their previous plans to wrap this thing up quickly by the end of the week. Jay Sekulow, the TV radio lawyer, uh, serving as uh, defense, uh, Trump's bombastic uh, defense attorney, said on Tuesday that the arguments that you have heard against the president all represent a common theme. Danger, 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 he said over and over again. It is dangerous to impeach a president for what Donald Trump did. He seemed to suggest he should not be impeached for these things, even if he did them. Somehow, because he was also investigated by the special counsel in the in the in the Russia investigation, which, by the way, found some 10 instances of obstruction of justice by Donald Trump that are not particularly different from the obstruction of Congress articles that Trump is now on trial for. And uh, Sekolo said regarding uh, a case in which uh, Donald Trump was found to have asked for, and in that case, well, Sekolo didn't say this, I'm saying this, uh, in which uh, Trump asked for and received help to win an election from a foreign power. Uh, Essentially, what Sekolo said was, you are being asked to remove a president for nothing more than policy Differences. That's all this was. It's a policy difference. Donald Trump thought that $400 million in military aid should be withheld until Ukraine helped him in his 2020 election, and Democrats feel otherwise. That's just a policy difference, Des. Just a policy difference. Nobody really cares about those kinds of policy differences. And (laughs) if you do, well, hey, that's just not a threshold for impeachment. That's what Secular was arguing today. Well, you know what? The folks on Fox News, uh, apparently, uh, seem to disagree. Just a little reminder— When this story broke, you know, before the Republicans decided, oh, this is just, you know, a a disagreement in policy. It is dangerous. You can't impeach someone for having a different opinion about policy. We'll be impeaching all the presidents. Uh, So back in um, 
September when this story broke, again on Donald Trump's favorite morning television show, Fox and Friends. Don't forget back then, before they all got their stories straight, uh, what Steve Ducey, host of Fox and Friends, had to say about all of if this. If the president said, you know, I'll give you the money, but you got to investigate Joe Biden, that is really off the rails wrong. <laughs> that is really, that's off the rails. If he did that, if he said investigate Biden, then I'll give you the money, well, that would be wrong. Hey, guess what John Bolton just told us the president said? No wonder they don't want to bring him in to testify before this Senate trial because, man, that would be just off the rails wrong. Now, uh, Sekulow downplayed uh, this. Uh, he, he was one of only two uh, impeachment uh, defense team members, uh, Trump defense members, who said who even referenced this at all. He, he downplayed it. He described it as, you know, some unpublished manuscript that some reporters maybe saw that maybe came from someone who no longer works at the White House, but that even if what he said was true, none of this is impeachable. That is the argument that they are making. That's what they are hoping Republicans will play along with. But apparently, according to reports from AP just moments ago, so far, not all of the Republicans are buying it. And again, Trump's own former chief of staff, John Kelly, he said uh, he's quoted as saying, I mean, half of Americans think this process is purely political and shouldn't be happening. But since it is happening, the majority of Americans would like to hear the whole story. Again, coming from John Kelly. So he as he said, so I think there are people that could contribute to this, either innocence or guilt. I think they should be heard. Adding, I think some of the conversations seem to me to be very inappropriate, talking about the conversations between Trump and uh, Ukraine and so forth. He said, but I wasn't there. There are people that were there that ought to be heard from. One of those people, of course, John Bolton. Now, supporting Kelly's comments that there are a majority of Americans who would like to hear the whole story. We now have also fresh new polling out just today, about an hour or two ago, that underscores that point bigly, bigly again here. On uh, on week two of the Senate impeachment trial, registered voters say 75 to 20 percent that witnesses should be allowed to testify in the impeachment trial. That, according to a Quinnipiac University national poll released today, an hour or two ago, 75 to 20 would like to see witnesses here. Of course, once again, we see the uh, usual uh, split between the parties. You've got 49 percent, almost a majority of Republicans who would like to see witnesses, 95 percent of Democrats. But perhaps most of note, 75 percent of independents want to see witnesses here. The uh, person, the woman in charge of the uh, Quinnipiac University poll says there may be a heated debate among lawmakers about whether witnesses should testify at the impeachment trial of Donald Trump. But it's a different story outside the beltway. Three quarters of American voters say witnesses should be allowed to testify. And that includes nearly half of Republican voters, she notes. 
More than half of voters, 53-40, say Trump is not telling the truth about his actions involving Ukraine in this poll. A majority of voters, 57 percent, say they would like Trump to provide more details about his actions involving Ukraine. More than half of voters, 54 percent, believe Trump abused his power regarding Ukraine. A similar 52 percent think that Trump obstructed Congress regarding its investigation. Those are the two articles of impeachment, and a, a, a majority of Americans believe he has uh, he is guilty of of both. Just over half of American voters, 52 percent, think the Trump administration's withholding of U.S. aid to Ukraine was not justified and just 34 percent believe that it was. So Democrats seemingly have won or at least are winning this argument right now, at least among the American people, among the Republican senators who will soon be forced to decide whether to keep protecting the president by covering up his actions with a rigged trial. Well, that is a different story, but it is the story for the moment. And it is getting, as I said, harder and harder by the minute right now for them to keep to keep up that lockstep uh, cover up. But they are trying. The latest scheme comes from James Langford, who says that Bolton's manuscript should be subpoenaed and it should be given to senators in a classified <laughs> setting for individual review. Don't let the public see it. That's how uh, they're that's what they're trying to, to get away with here uh, today. Uh, following the wrap up of the uh, Trump team uh, Trump's defense team their opening and as they hope closing argument Chuck Schumer was asked specifically about this scheme to allow senators to review the book which by the way will be on shelves in just over a month in March yet they want to review it in a classified setting now uh, Schumer was asked after today's presentation from the Trump's lawyer about that why not support a subpoena, why not support a subpoena for the class, uh, classified version of the manuscript so at least senators that is can the, see it the first of all no the classified version of the manuscripts this is a manuscript it's going to be public what the heck are they hiding you don't need it in classified and it's not good enough there is no substitute for a witness speaking under oath to the senators. So a classified version of the uh, transcript is just another excuse to hide things. They are afraid of the truth. Senator Hang in there, Chuck. He's absolutely right. I can't <laughs> believe he's sticking with it. And he's still calling for four witnesses in total. We're all just waiting for the Democrats to back down, aren't we? Well, we'll see what happens. You know, public pressure helps. So, you know, you can call your your senators if you're interested in that. You can call them at 202-224-3121 and let them know how you feel. They really do want to know. That's where we are right now, but we got to get out to a break. So we'll have time for Desi Doyen and the Green News Report. That's coming up next on the broadcast. Don't touch that dial. Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. 
Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Desi Doyen, you should have stopped me from ranting. <laughs> Just to make sure that we have time for our latest Green News Report. The world has entered into a realm of a two-minute warning. Doomsday clock inches closer to midnight thanks to climate change. A new rollback is expected to be announced today that could potentially put more pollution into our waters. Trump further weakens pollution standards for streams and wetlands. China announces national ban on single-use plastics. Plus, massive locust swarm threatens food security in East Africa. Coming up next, the slaying of the firstborn. All of those plagues and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. The world is going to be flooded, and Trump is like, wait, wait poison the water first. I want to make this the best apocalypse of all time. (laughs) This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, locusts, apocalypse, and now... The Doomsday Clock. Yes, the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists has moved up the famous symbolic Doomsday Clock that represents existential threats to humanity. Well, they've moved it up to 100 seconds to midnight. It's the first time the clock has passed within the two-minute mark in its more than 70-year history. Even during the Cold War, it was never this close to midnight. Right. The scientists say they moved up the clock to call attention to the growing threats of nuclear war, climate change, and the spread of disinformation. In a press conference, former California Governor Jerry Brown, now a bulletin board member, called moving up the clock a blaring klaxon call to America. Tell me how else can we tell people where we're, where we're at? How else can we wake up the Democrats, the Republicans, the independents, the millionaires, the billionaires, the media owners who carry on their life as though it's the, they're on the Titanic about ready to hit an iceberg and they're not worried? This is the moment, if there ever was, to wake up. And as if we needed any more signs of apocalypse, the United Nations has called for international help to fight a massive invasion of locusts sweeping across the East African nations of Ethiopia, Kenya, and Somalia. The ravenous insects are destroying crops and farmland, threatening food shortages in a vulnerable region already ravaged by climate change-intensified drought and extreme storms. Massive locust swarms occur during very very specific weather conditions, but global warming is changing rainfall patterns across Africa, affecting the timing of heavy rains that has helped generate the biggest swarm in 70 years. Any sign of rivers filled with blood yet? (laughs) No, not yet. The affected nations are having to resort to aerial spraying of pesticides to control the infestation. The UN has called for international aid to, quote, avert any threats to food security, livelihoods, and malnutrition for millions of people. Meanwhile, here in the United States... Speaking of plagues... The Trump administration late last week finalized a rule to strip away environmental protections for streams, wetlands, and other small water bodies. The new rule significantly weakens strict standards for drinking water that were established by the Obama administration. The new regulations remove limits on how much pollution can be dumped into small streams and wetlands that feed into America's drinking water supply. The rollback strips protections for more than half of the nation's 
nation's wetlands, allows landowners to dump pesticides into waterways, allows mining and industrial companies to dump industrial waste, and it also allows developers to build over wetlands. Environmental groups say they will sue to block the rollbacks. So while this is supposed to be good for farmers, in fact, it's good for the real estate business? Yes. Just a coincidence, I'm sure. A big heads up for folks in Oklahoma, Texas, and New Mexico. Grist.org reports that the fracking industry is lobbying those states' regulators to allow them to dump polluted fracking wastewater, called produced water, into your streams and rivers. The fracking process uses up millions of gallons of water for every new well, and the boom in fracking has resulted in a glut of contaminated wastewater. Drillers say it's too expensive to treat the water, and injecting it can cause earthquakes, so they're looking for cheap places to dump it. In the courts, four coastal Louisiana Native American tribes have bypassed the U.S. legal system to file a formal complaint with the United Nations in Geneva, Switzerland, accusing the U.S. government of violating their human rights by failing to take action on climate change. According to the complaint, sea level rise and coastal erosion are drowning tribal burial sites in southern Louisiana, and the loss of land threatens the tribe's source of food. And finally, some good news. China, one of the world's biggest users of plastic, which has for years been struggling to deal with an epic plastic pollution problem, has announced it will ban single-use plastics across the country. In a fairly rapid phase-in, non-degradable single-use plastic bags will be banned in major cities in China by the end of this year and banned in all cities and towns within two years. And the restaurant industry will be banned from using single-use straws by the end of 2020. That's good news. Doesn't make up for the rest of your report, Doyen. Sorry. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. Yes, we all feel fine. <laughs> Why worry? Hey, thank you very much, Desi Doy and our producers. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com, where we are, by the way, celebrating our 16th anniversary at bradblog.com. We couldn't do it without your support at bradblog.com slash donate. If you haven't uh, thrown something in the tip jar recently, we would thank you to do it again soon because we haven't been able to promote our 16th anniversary very much. Bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Bradblog. That is it. Until we meet again tomorrow for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.